I'm thrilled to be able to give you a listen to my conversation with Jazz Empa Far, who is a resilience ninja, international speaker, coach, and author. Hailed in the U.S. as the British Oprah, Jazz has traveled the world advising governments, educators, and helping tens of thousands of people with her bespoke leadership development programs, training courses, and motivational speeches. As a successful entrepreneur, mom of three, and former teacher, she knows a thing or two about galvanizing people into taking action. With a passion for resilience, positive disruption, and a human-first approach to everything, Jazz's energy is infectious, and you can't help but become mesmerized and fall under her captivating spell. For reference, this conversation was recorded on November 2nd, 2021. Now let's get to the episode with Jazz. Hi, I'm Lindsay Lyons, and I love helping school communities envision bold possibilities, take brave action to make those dreams a reality, and sustain an inclusive, anti-racist culture where all students thrive. I'm a former teacher leader turned instructional coach, educational consultant, and leadership scholar. If you're a leader in the education world, whether you're a principal, superintendent, instructional coach, or a classroom teacher excited about school-wide change like I was, you are a leader. And if you enjoy nerding out about the latest educational books and podcasts, if you're committed to a lifelong journey of learning and growth and being the best version of yourself, you're going to love the Time for Teachership podcast. Let's dive in. Hi, Jess. Welcome to the Time for Teachership podcast. Hello. I'm very excited to be here. I'm so excited that you're here. And so I have just read your professional bio, and I want to know if there's anything beyond what is typical in terms of professional bios, you know, all the accolades and accomplishments. Like, how do you define yourself or how do you want to intro yourself to, to the audience? Oh, well, I'm a world-class reframer. That's how I describe myself because the, the kind of ability to... Um, like reframe stories to make sure that I'm taking responsibility for what I'm responsible for and nothing else and to stand on the truth about myself so that I can fight for the highest good of the children in my care and the leaders that I serve that takes a lot of reframing it also takes you you gotta be like 10% braver than you were yesterday every day so that's kind of I think that you know that's who I am that's what I do Oh, that is wonderful. Okay. I love that. That is a really great, great um, uh, pitch about yourself. So as we think about this idea of, of education and, and, and what Bettina Love talks about in terms of freedom dreaming, she says dreams grounded in the critique of injustice. I really like this idea of freedom dreaming about schools and education. And I'm, I'm curious to know what is your kind of dream or freedom dream around education? What, what could it be? Human first, that's what it could be. You know, when people get more responsibility or influence, they start, it's almost like we automatically start thinking we've got to be either professional or human. On the human, professionals do things to other people, like schools or school boards that do things to their staff or to their students. Like during the pandemic, I heard of one school, bless them, doing enforced yoga. Like at one o'clock on Thursday, everyone will do yoga for for well-being. And you just sort of think, kind of missing the point. I see what you're trying to do there, but it's it's a bit tricky to sort of force people to relax. So doing things to people, coming from that space, means that you make decisions that are probably the best and probably going to work when we don't consider the humanity of the situation, when we take empathy out of it. Then some people do things for others. Now, doing things for someone or being for someone is fantastic, and that's where a lot of schools kick it out of the park. But 
What's missing is that the child or the parent or the community need to think and feel and know that you're for them. There's no good me being for you if you don't feel that I'm for you. I could be fighting for your highest good, but you're like, I don't know if I can trust her. It's not working. Some schools, some leaders, some people go for with, withness, where they actually stand shoulder to shoulder in the chaotic fire in empathy, not sympathy. Like in Britain, when somebody dies, we always go, oh, I'm so sorry. And it's like literally, oh, I don't know what to say. Don't talk to me. I'm talking about empathy, which is the opposite. That's like, I don't know how you feel. That's hideous. I can't imagine your pain, but I'm going to stand here with you. That's different. It's the witness buys loyalty. It garners commitment. It, it rids of us compliance. That is what a human revolution looks like. And if it's going to, if a revolution is going to happen anyway, it's going to be in education. Being human first leaders, human first teachers, human first adults, schools that are human first. That's what I want to see. That is a beautiful dream. And I love this concept of withness. I think that's so much of what I talk about in terms of shared leadership and how do we do things with one another and truly partner, not just communicate one way, but like actually partner with, with folks. So that is really exciting. And I think a lot of times when we think about the traditional education system, it is definitely not that, right? It is, we are communicating one way and we are doing it this way. And it's fear-based. I think that's the problem. I, I know kind of in, in the Canadian system, in the American system, the Australian system, in the New Zealand system, I've worked with lots of governments. And just like in UK, there is this feeling of um, from the kind of nurturer, guardian, everyday heroes in the system, I've got to uh, tick the boxes and do what needs to be done. And sometimes, you know, we go into the role thinking, right, I'm going to bring change, I'm going to do it. But we fail to future-proof ourselves. And so over time, what happens is that we get like broken down and heaped on and we start saying things like it's the system when we're the system it's not they are us them and us we we are the system they are us so we forget our agency within that moment and we become we feel like we're data slaves and we feel like we're just here and we turn the volume down and we don't stick our head up or take risks because people didn't come in to change everything they came in to do a great job but it feels like you stop serving the child and you start serving the administration and and we are the magical like tracing paper between the administration and the child. We have to stand. But it becomes increasingly more difficult because of the judgment element, because it's not collaborative, it's judgment. Like in the UK, we have Ofsted, which is a body that comes in and, you know, can or cannot make you cry <laughs> and like dis- decide what level you're working at as a staff. And it's all very personal and it's all people are terrified and they, they say things like, I hope we get a nice Ofsted team. What are you hoping for? Hope's got, hope is not a strategy. This is the education sector. We're not going to leave things to hope. You know, it's like, we, you, you should be able to say, I know where I'm doing great and I know where I need to work harder. And this is my plan for that. Interested in your thoughts, but we're scared. We're scared of getting it wrong. We're scared of making a mistake. We're scared of what other people will think. We're, we're victims of comparisonitis the whole time, comparing our front, our backstage with everyone else's front stage on social media. Oh, look at that school. They were on the telly, you know, and that causes us to play small. So it's hard to be, to, to do withness when you're only united in oppression. That's, we deserve better than that. Our kids deserve better than that. And we can do better than that. But it means we've got to come from an intentional place. We can't be forest gumping our way through education, life, job, work with our partner hating our job because our job gets the best of us and they get what's left. Not good enough. We deserve better. So well said. And I appreciate all of the mindset shifts that you're kind of speaking to there around like, you know, this idea of like witness being really front and center. And I love the idea of, you know, not necessarily just blaming the system, but recognizing we are the system, right? We have this agency and that's so important to be able to wrap our minds around 
to be able to do this work well. So in terms of what that looks like to, to get to that dream, to do withness and, and to, um, you know, practice all the things that you're talking about, what, I, I mean, I think bravery, as you said at the start, right, 10% braver than you were yesterday. I think bravery is a requirement here. And so what are those brave actions that either teachers or educational leaders can, can really take to make that dream kind of come true for their school? Yeah, I think it really starts from getting very clear and reconnecting with the purpose, the reason you came into this job in the first place. Because all the resources, all the YouTube videos, all the great examples, you can read all the books, but if your mind and heart is not in a place where you are ready to take risks, none of it is going to happen. You've actually got to be able to apply stuff, but it's got to be the driving force, the thing that takes you on that shero's journey just the hero's journey, but she rose. <laughs> um, that journey, it can't be something as mundane as, well, you know, hopefully we'll get some good grades. Because the impact that you have and the difference you make cannot be measured on a spreadsheet. It is not, the, the sum of your greatness, the transformational power is not what appears on a bit of paper at the end of the year. Uh, it, it's, it's a lifelong legacy. You know, culture, leadership, impact. That's what happens when you're not watching anymore, when you're not even in the room anymore. And when, when educators, when any adult in school grasps the heaviness and the, the, the complete massive power they have to change, transform lives in the tiniest actions that cause the biggest ripples that will outlive them, that's when you stand on a moment of truth and not on this kind of, oh my gosh, I don't think I'm out the geography books. I must get on and I've got to try and steal some minutes back at Christmas and, oh, I wonder if I could. No. <laughs> it's water. So it, first of all, it's getting, it's, it's putting the right pants on. And I mean, undercrackers, English pants, not American pants, getting your underwear on the right way around so that you're not walking around, you know, like this all day, feeling uncomfortable. Wear some comfortable knickers is basically what I'm saying. <laughs> but it, it's about saying, okay, when I go to bed tonight, I can show up as my full fat self or I can hide and feel I'm failing all day and tell myself a story that I'm not enough. I get paid the same. So which one do I choose for me, for my family, for my children, for the community I serve? Which one do I choose? Because it comes down to choice. And I wish it didn't. I wish the world over odors are living. I wish we were all being victimized. I wish that was true. But the plain fact of the matter is, is that you are in full control of how you show up. And so when we tie schools values and counties values and school board values to our personal values, and when we see the transformational power. And when I talk about transformation, I'm talking about like caterpillar to butterfly, like short, fat, hairy guy to Beyonce colored bird, right? I think sometimes in education, when you hear the word transformation, people are talking about like a quicker, faster, hairier, shorter caterpillar. And I, I don't mean that. I, that might be something that happens. I'm talking about the impact of human to human standing with. That is palpable. And until you stand on the truth about yourself, you're, you, can only, you can only achieve what you believe you deserve. You're only as powerful as the stories that you tell. And if the story you're telling yourself is, oh, I'm not good enough, I'm just one person, what can I do? Nothing will change until your desire for things to be different is bigger than your fear of having a go. And, and I've learned that the hard way by living a, a smaller version of myself for like the first 40 years of my life, for turning the volume down and trying to blend in and be accepted and... <sighs> Not the, it's about being the human you were designed to be, not the human that the system has crushed you into being. That's really how I try and live in all aspects of life. But specifically, that is what's caused the change and the bravery. Oh, one thing about bravery, 
Courage is firefighters, right? They see a build, burning building and they run towards it while the rest of us are screaming, running in the opposite direction. That's courage. That is a practiced, embedded skill, art and commitment. Bravery is when you are absolutely terrified and you have no idea if it will work, but you still choose to take the first step. Very different. That's really powerful. I had never heard the distinction before or anyone put it in that way, the courage versus bravery. And I think that idea of, you know, facing down your terror in so many ways, especially when we're talking about equitable education, right? A lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of that is, you know, related to my sense of self and how I show up. And like you're saying, there's so much of that. And then there's also like the, the societal pieces. Like I, I totally hear what you're saying around, you know, we, we choose to show up in the ways that we choose to show up. We have that agency. We can't take that away. And also there's this context, particularly in the U S right now, there's this context around uh, critical race theory and anyone doing any sort of equity work. Uh, now there's all these states that have these laws on the books that are, if you mention this, you must lose your job. Right. And so there's like this very real threat of, I have no more job. I can't put food on my table. And there's these like multiple pieces. And so I'm wondering, like, you know, how do we make sense of that? And how do we kind of like honor those pieces that make it really challenging? And then also kind of show up as you're saying, and and kind of have that agency and take on that agency and show that bravery to be able to to choose how we show up each day. That that is such a good question. I I was talking about um, resilience and mindset and bravery with a, a conference before COVID and I went to a workshop and I went to an LGBTQ workshop um, for teachers. And, and I, I'd been talking about being yourself and being honest and being, and they were talking about um, how afraid they were to come out because the governors, the t- and I suddenly got this massive, oh my gosh. I mean, and I'm, I'm like angry that people feel they can't be themselves, but at the same time, I can see how they've kind of navigated and so and I know that I am a person designed to stand out and cause trouble I, I I know that that is when I lean into that I'm I'm at my fullest self you know I'm like I'm not aiming for everyone to go yeah jazz is great you know if you don't like me that's great don't work with me we'll both be miserable so I'm, I'm very clear on that but that's come from a journey of saying what matters most because everybody wants to be in control right but you don't grow when you're in control because it's too comfortable that, that being in control is great. It's not going to get you anywhere. It's just going to give you a nice journey. The opposite to being in control is being in chaos. And we've all experienced that to some way, shape or form. We've all been through the same storm. We've been in very different boats. Some people have had a, a nice luxury catamaran with a deck hand and a pair of Speedos with a glass of champagne on a silver tray during lockdown. Some people have been in a rowboat with a hole in it, one all missing and a relative they don't like. So it's not really measurable in terms of, well, we've all survived. It, we've, we've done different things. But chaos for people could be something as small as, you know, the car doesn't work in the morning. It can be something as big as I have no family and no way of feeding myself. I mean, it, it's, it's relative to what you're experiencing. But in between control and chaos is this beautiful golden space of complexity. And in complexity, if you can stand in there and, and it's easier if you opt into it than if you're forced into it, where you stay neutral and you get curious and you ask questions and you come from a position and, and, a, and a kind of stance of, of genuine curiosity. I mean, we're education, right? We, we should create a space where we can get it wrong. We're always saying to the kids, oh yeah, try your best, get it wrong. When do you make a mistake? When did you last make a mistake? Huh? <laughs> and if you haven't made one today, you're not trying hard enough because we're supposed to be outside our comfort zone in order to lead the way. When we start putting ourselves in the position we ask the kids to be in all the time, when we start putting out, so it's not just, yeah, take a risk. 
you take a risk. <laughs> when we're actually, one, that garners witness. Two, it garners a commitment, not compliance. Three, it buys loyalty. Four, it's fulfillment. It's not happiness. That's just like cake and beer. It's fulfillment. It's long lasting. And five, it reconnects you to the reason you came into the job in the first place. It is not going to be easy. It is not going to be easy. When I trained, they said to me, here's a tip. Don't smile until Christmas. And what they were trying to do was saying, don't make relationships with the kids. Don't let them get too close because you'll get hurt. Well, here's what I'm saying to you. You're going to get hurt. You are going to cry. You're going to carry these kids in your heart and you're going to get hurt. You're going to carry the staff, the parents, the community in at your heart. It is going to hurt because teaching starts with art. It's about relationships. And those relationships change lives. They change the world. So if you want, if you don't want it, go be a plumber. I'm pretty sure you can do that job without, you know, getting too emotionally attached. But although I do know some very emotionally attached plumbers, but I, it, it's a job where it is going to be hard. I'll also say there are sometimes your values, you know, your values should be valuable, right? They should cost you something. I have left relationships because of my value on, towards integrity. I've left jobs eventually because of that value of integrity sometimes it is time for you to say not not this profession but maybe not this school it's a buyer's market any that you know we're wanted so you know learn to negotiate a bit better but we're wanted sometimes it's about speaking up sometimes it's about finding an ally sometimes it's about asking a question but it's never going to be a comfortable journey and if you want comfort you know it, it, there's another way of doing this that doesn't that doesn't bring about the same commitment the same change it's still valid but you've got it it can it can only come from you because you can teach what you know but you can only embed in others where you've you know where you've been yourself and I'm not saying you have to have the same experience my journey and yours is different but we both know what fear is we both know what worry is we both know what guilt is we, we both know feeling that we're not enough is so it's it's being able to address that in yourself before calling others up to do the same in themselves Yes. Oh my gosh. This makes so much sense. And, and one of the things that one of my colleagues, Dr. Shree Bridges Patrick is always reminding me is like, you know, you have to make it about yourself first. Right. And so like, so we're, we're always doing like SEL, for example, right. Social emotional learning. We're like, yeah, like, come on, kids be all these things and do the castle competencies. And, and how many times have we actually yeah. practiced the breathing exercise that we're telling yeah. the kids to do, or how many times have we, you know, gone through all of these things. And so this idea of like adults going first and, and not even modeling, but like, I, I want a better word than that, but like sharing in the practice of right. And doing yeah. that witness yeah. that you're describing, yes. like we're in this together. Yeah. Right? And you know, you know why that's important as well, because as if you grew up in an abusive home or with someone who's an alcoholic or bipolar or something like that you learn as a child to read body language facial expression micro expression so I used to think that I was psychic because I could tell when what people said and did and what they thought and felt were out of, out of sync with each other so I used to think that I was like oh maybe I have some sort of magical power no I can read people really well so if you are not doing it like I remember doing a workshop on growth mindset and uh, one of the leaders said hold on I thought you were going to give us tips on teaching growth mindset, but this, what you're saying here, it sounds like a complete mindset shift on my part. And I'm like, yes, it is. Because if you, if you want to, you don't try and buy a diamond with a moody 10 pound note that your mate Bill printed in his kitchen. I mean, you're just dead. And these kids are diamonds. They are lives for crying out loud. They are the people who are going to be doing the hip replacement on you in a few years time. So treat your most expensive resource with a bit more investment and a bit more, you know, Go first, go first. 
and I, and I know that some people are in immense pain and it's not about I'm not saying come into school in the morning and say oh well I've watched the whole of Netflix last night I'm an alcoholic and I think I might got involved in some human trafficking on the way to school this morning grade two don't need all that information but I am saying that you need to be professionally vulnerable and personally authentic so that you can say to them do you know what sometimes I get scared too do you know what this is what I do watch me now this is what I do when I don't know what to do when I get stuck when I fail I take a minute and I decide to be a a resilient chocolate hobnob rather than a rich tea soggy biscuit I mean you use your own stories but you're not afraid to be what's the term oh I know human first it's it's back to that again we so often want to like well it's in the textbook we'll just follow and read yeah computers can do that like we have apps that could do that better than our humans could do it the, the missing element the human element the connection the encouragement that the never giving up that's not something anyone else can do. And, and if you ask your kids, I, I remember thinking, I saw this poster once and I designed my own and my poster says, I loved my teacher. I can't believe how brilliant she was. I loved all the data she used to collect on me, said no child ever. So just make an order of the priority of what you do and make sure you put the right amount of, of um, weight on each one. Because if you ask the kids, what the story they tell about you if you get involved in a story that your team tell about you that's often different to the story you're telling yourself your story is oh I'm not very good at this and you know that pep talk you give yourself in the morning before you leave the house you look in the mirror and you go oh I'm fat I'm old I'm going gray let's go you know you're sort of like beat yourself up before you <laughs> it just it's, it's like the story we tell ourselves and the story our class or our teams tell about us need to be in alignment those stories need to be in alignment. So stop putting yourself down, turning the volume down and indulging in imposter syndrome. Don't get me wrong. I love a visit to victimhood. It's very nice seaside town, but you can't live there. You can't exist forever in victimhood if you want to bring about change. So I, I, it feels like I cop out sometimes. I feel like I'm saying you've got to look at yourself, but I, I know what it's like to be on the other side of people who have not done this work and gotten curious as a child and as an adult. And it is debilitating. It means people who mean well end up actually causing another adverse childhood experience. So the cost is too great and the payoff is huge. Human first. Excellent. Excellent points. And I like the, co the cost being too great. And also just like the, the being able to align your stories piece, I think is, is so insightful when we think about, you know, the, the, how often we ask students what the stories are that they tell us, or even as adults, right? Like thinking about what we personally remember about our childhood experiences in school. I, I usually open workshops with that question and I'll say, you know, what is the most powerful experience you remember? And now, you know, it, what category does it kind of fall into? Was it like, oh, I loved this particular lesson that we did. And I like learned my ABCs in this particular way. Or is it like, I had this deep sense of belonging with this other child or this teacher or this sense of connection. And if we take a moment, just a moment to like ask that question of our own experiences or the students around us, we will often see that it doesn't reconcile or align with the things that we're prioritizing on a day-to-day -day basis. If every teacher were to ask themselves, you know, what's the most important thing I do today? Yes. I imagine, right? That like they would say, oh, get through this content. When it's really like make this student feel seen or heard or valued, like say that child's name, look them in the eye, right? And, and we don't prioritize those things. So I really appreciate you naming that we should, <laughs> that we should be. I think, I think it's, it's hard because it's actually what you benefit from that as well, because it means it makes your job, makes delivering the content easier. It's like you, you shouldn't be teaching the bus stop method for long division to someone who hasn't had a biscuit. 
it would be easier if they weren't hungry while you were trying to teach this lesson. So I'm talking about making it easy on yourself. You know, I'm inviting people to stop. Don't make it so difficult. You know, that this is the first stage that will make the rest of the journey a lot more palatable and enjoyable. Right. And as you were saying before, you know, connect to why we got into, into teaching in the first place, right? It's probably not to dump a bunch of information on someone, right? It's about making those connections. And we got to get back to that if we want to stay nourished and fulfilled, as you said. I think there's such a, a trend. I mean, there always has been, right? But I, such a trend of leaving the profession after three to five years or something. And, and yeah. like that burnout is real. And so th- finding these ways that we can feel fulfilled um, and our students can feel fulfilled at the same time. Like that, again, that sense of withness, I, I think is so powerful. Um, and, and obviously placing humans first as well. This is just a really powerful concepts that I love have kind of threaded through this entire conversation. So thank you for naming this. No, no, can I, one of the questions I always have is, and I feel like you see it in, in lots of places, in marketing and other places, is getting the bees in the right order. Because I, I feel like some of the schools I went to had belonging at the top. So it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what you've done, you belong. You're part of this family, end of. And when when you know that you belong, then you get this belief, the second B, where they believe in you. And you start to believe in yourself because you feel like you belong. So you start to actually believe you might be better than you think. And then last comes behavior. You change what you do because what you think and feel has changed. But other schools had the Bs in the wrong order. Behavior came first. You have to behave like this in the way. And I, I went to a very kind of white middle-class school and I was a foster kid who was mixed race. I, I didn't have a clue. I just didn't even know how to behave. So I was wrong from the get-go. So there was no, I just felt wrong all the time. Then you're supposed to believe in the delayed gratification of education. Well, everyone I know is on the rob. So why do I need history GCSE? And then if you be, behave in the right way and believe, then you can belong. Well, I can go mug someone and belong to a gang who will actually take care of me and have my back. So why would I try? It's too big. So inadvertently, we create this lack of belonging <laughs> within a space where we need belonging in order to build the curriculum on. So it's like Jaslow's hierarchy of needs is you've got to be safe, you've got to be well, and you've got to be seen. And when you're seen, then we know we can start teaching. So it's what are the things that you can do to make someone feel that you've noticed they're, they're there? That what are the things that we do to our friends? You know, we send them a text when they're not around. Are you all right? We could send postcards home when the kids aren't there. We, we could, like, when schools, you know, have to isolate kids or expel them or whatever, they, it, rather than saying, you don't belong here, say, look, this isn't tenable, but we will never stop fighting for your highest good and believing in you. I mean, there's so many little things that we can do that actually negate what it feels like to be told you're not good enough. And it's those little things. It's putting yourself on the other side of where you are, looking at things with a different lens that allow you to find a whole you know, tiny random acts of kindness that you can start embedding that will make your job more fulfilled, make you feel more fulfilled in your job and make it easier and more impactful. I love this framework of the bees and and Jasla's hierarchy of needs. It's brilliant. (laughs) I do make all this stuff up. Sometimes (laughs) it makes sense, but but it's, these are all the things I've kind of tried to make sense of my own experience as a child, as a teacher and as a leader, you know, it's kind of like, well, what if we, what I don't know if this is going to work and I don't know if anyone it would probably fail but who's with me you know it's that kind of attitude and and sometimes things and things you you, you either win or you learn it's it's one or the other it's it's never it goes wrong to the point and I personally think the worst thing that can happen is that things go right the first time and you miss out on an opportunity to embed ambitious resilience but that that's how I feel 
but it's that's a way of intentional living for me I don't just turn it on when I'm in school that's that's how I choose to be the whole time so it's easier if you can get an alignment with who you are and what you do be a human being before human doing you know that's that's the thing that 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 has more impact absolutely and oh my gosh you've dropped so much wisdom like throughout this whole this whole conversation (laughs) so just imagining a listener you know in their car on the on a commute or in the subway or something and just like listening to all this stuff and wondering like okay I want to take one step to like be you know in alignment with all the things you've talked about today what would you suggest that first step is like what can they do as soon as they you know hang up the the earbuds and and get to work on this the first thing is um I've got three stickers on my mirror at eye level so and I say them every morning three kind of affirmations I guess and it says I love you I accept you I forgive you because when I say that and and during different periods of my life different ones of those have been really hard I I could love and accept myself, but I could never forgive myself because I'm holding myself to such a high standard. And I think when I was able to say all three of those and keep eye contact and smile with relief and just openness at the end, that's when I suddenly realized what full fat jazz looks like. And so I'd say what we do and we hear something great, we go to a conference, we're writing scribbling notes and recording it. And then we put all these notes in the box of shame that live in the back of the cupboard. And then we feel bad because we never look at them again. And all we can remember about the conference is the food was good. I, I know I've been here. So I would say, you, unless you're planning on checking out, like, you know, tomorrow, I would say you've got a whole lifetime to make these tiny little changes that will make a massive difference. So today, the best time to have started doing this is last year. And the second best time is right now. So one thing, one thing for the next semester. That's all. One thing that you are intentional about pouring yourself into, and it might be not slagging yourself off in the mirror in the morning. Try that. See how that works. It might be standing at the door and saying to everyone, oh, I'm glad you're here. It might be having a give what you can, take what you need bowling class. So when someone needs something, they just, you know, it it could be any number of things, but one thing to just commit to doing and collect the data. I know you live a bit of data. So collect the data on the difference that makes, the, the, the impact that has. And then after that semester is done, you've done that, then do the next thing. You could also elicit a friend. You could do two different things and you double your bubble there. But it's about taking the smallest steps. It's not about rescuing everyone. It's about valuing everyone. What would that look like? Including yourself. Nobody wins if you work yourself into an early grave. And, and, you know, you're trying to encourage the students to say, yeah, I want to do something great in my life. What if they go into education and you keep saying to them, yeah, you know, it's important, you're important. And then they get to your age with your job and suddenly they're knackered and bitter and twisted and hateful. They're going to feel like you lied to them. So let's try and get ourselves in alignment one tiny step at a time. I love this. These are great suggestions. And, and one of the, one of the questions I really like to ask just at the end of podcast episodes, because I think it's fun is most of the people who come on here are talking about, you know, like you are growth and you know, how, how we personally as adults are continuing to grow and learn and do all these things. And so I'm just curious to know for fun, what is something that you have been learning about lately in your own life? Um, I'm learning about how to get my own Netflix season. Cause that's what I want to do. I want to do a kind of a Nanette sort of a stand-up comedy that isn't stand-up comedy, but actually talks about story, but takes people on this journey. Cause I'm all about, you know, storytelling. So I've started charting that and you can follow along um, on social media anywhere, jazz and Parfar. Cause I do reality TV. You could put jazz, the apprentice and you'll find me on Google. That's the gift of being on reality TV. 
But uh, on all the social media platforms, I just kind of send something out every day that celebrates and challenges people so that you can do both. And part of my journey around my kind of jazzette stand-up piece is going to be within that. Wow, that sounds brilliant. And I cannot wait for you to get your Netflix show. That sounds amazing. (laughs) It'll happen. (laughs) That is so great. Jess, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show and having this wonderful conversation today. So much fun. Thank you for having me. And thank you for the real brave questioning. I I like the big questions that you ask. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thanks for listening, amazing educators. If you loved this episode, you can share it on social media and tag me at Lindsay Beth Lyons or leave a review of the show so leaders like you will be more likely to find it. To continue the conversation, you can head over to our Time for Teachership Facebook group and join our community of educational visionaries. Until next time, leaders, continue to think big, act brave, and be your best self. Mm -hmm.